What is up? Welcome back. Thank you for sticking through that commercial break. And I'm very excited to introduce our guest for today, Guy Swan. Uh, P, you know your job. Give the proper introduction. But Guy, how are you doing? Pretty good, man. How are you doing, boss? I hope my uh, wheat. I can't believe fucking big wheat has just dominated you over here. Stole cue from us. Unbelievable. We're going to get into it. But before we do, I want to give you the proper introduction. Guy Swan uh, is called by many, myself included, the voice of Bitcoin. He has read more Bitcoin related content in his sultry, smooth, mellifluous voice than anyone else alive. I think you have onboarded more people to the fundamental principles of Bitcoin than anyone else. You have an incredible podcast called Bitcoin Audible, where you read the best content in Bitcoin and by reading it, make it more approachable for the vast majority of people because we all prefer to listen to content rather than read it. How did you get where you are today and why is your voice so incredible? Answer the question. Oh shit. Thank you. That's some that's some that's a very kind introduction. Um uh and I did I, I I will have to say that I'm very proud of myself specifically recently for Dave Smith said that I orange pilled him and I'm very honored for that because I feel like I feel like the libertarian community is kind of like a huge missed opportunity for Bitcoiners. And and it's exciting to kind of see the Mises caucus and everything that's going on over there finally kind of wake up to this, you know, and start like really, really paying attention to it. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, how did I get here? Um, I don't know. I, uh, I I went down the Bitcoin rabbit hole in 2011 and I I don't know. Everybody was wrong on the Internet as I. <laughs> And so, and so I felt like doing a podcast to correct it. Um, but uh, yeah, at some point, I don't remember, there were like three years there, like 2012 to 2015, 2016, maybe. I don't know. I always somehow had the back, had in the back of my mind. I was a big podcast listener, so it, it made sense. But um, that I should start a podcast. Um, in fact, my brother and I, uh, my brother Agra's view on Twitter, but uh we we both got into Bitcoin at the same time. Like he actually told me about it the day that he found out about it. So it was like within minutes, literally. Um, and uh, uh, we actually have like probably like six, five or six lost episodes of some podcast from 2013 or 2014 or something on Bitcoin. Uh, like there were a couple of times where we tried to start up something uh, and Really, it was after 2017, I watched, I still felt like I was a spectator, you know, like I'd been in Bitcoin this whole time. I felt like I knew something like I could contribute, you know, like, you know, I would see people spreading nonsense and I'd be like, oh man, like this just like straight up isn't true. Like this is how it works. And I felt like I was getting a foundation of understanding how all of these things worked. And I was just consuming everything I could get my hands on, just reading like mad. Like if there was a piece on Bitcoin, like for years there, there wasn't even enough, enough content. Like I would just run out of stuff. Like I would just be searching the term Bitcoin on Google and going through whatever was available. Um, and uh, uh, at some point, 
it was in two, it was really 2017 that did it is that I, this was like the third major hype cycle um that i had been through and i i watched it happen and then we're back on the other side and and you realize that like okay shit the hype cycle has burst like we're back you know we're headed back into a bear market this is this is a big shift right now and what's going on i was like holy shit i just let, let this whole thing go by again i was here and i'm still just a speculator like i'm not participating i'm not doing anything you know what i mean like other than just shit posting or talking to arguing with people on reddit you know um and i was like screw it i'm not i'm not sitting on this anymore and then one day i just got, uh, came home from work i was an internet technician at the time uh uh came home from work and i sat down and i just read i think my very first article i think was from bitcoin magazine if i'm not mistaken um but uh, i just sat down with my phone on the bed and read it into the thing and i just said I, I don't like i was all like insecure and like really nervous about doing it you know um and i just published i was just like it, no, nobody's gonna listen to it it's just gonna get lost in the infinity of the internet like if it sucks it sucks like i, I have to stop caring about it um and i published it and it got like 15 downloads or something like that and i was like hey um and then did it again the next day and Four years later. <laughs> it's an incredible story. You've changed dozens of people's lives that's, since then. I, I, I hope so. I hope so. I mean, that's, that's the point of it. It's, it's I all. Think, I think you're being very modest with a dozen. Dozens, yeah. do, dozens is worth it, man. Uh, I, I, I didn't even catch go that. Go so far but... to say a few hundred dozen, but that's just me. We'll go with thousands, thousands yeah. of people. That's awesome, man. I, um, yeah. I, I love it. Just, that's just and I think you know. Obviously, you've done so much other stuff since then, and um, but I just love how simple and effective the premise is. Like, obviously, you have so many um, insightful things to say, but just taking content and making it more approachable. Um, I, I spend a lot of time thinking about Bitcoin education these days, and I, mm -hmm. it's good stuff, man. It's remarkable how much is. I think people really discount the insane amounts of value and also just arbitrage in translation and not like direct translation necessarily in like from english to german like translation in the context of like from like the engineering community to the retail community from the like like just making an idea digestible um making content exposed or accessible in a completely different way like the articles i mean I, I was almost shocked i even looked for it there's like I, there was not another podcast that did this and it's such a like it's a, it's a, it's a no-brainer idea right like there's nothing complex about the idea of like well 50 people are going to have the time to sit down and read this fucking article but 20,000 might have time to listen to it while they're doing stuff um and you know maybe they don't have they don't comprehend or uh you know you get more detail out of it or you get more understanding of it um if you sit down and like engage and read but if you get 80 percent of its understanding in twenty thousand people versus 90 percent of its understanding in 50 people you you're a huge net positive you know what i mean like like there's no there's no net loss there there's no negative side to this the people who will read it will still read it um and and it was just something that i wanted I kept looking for, I can't tell you how many, I spent money 
when I was dead broke on these stupid little apps that would luckily they're more available now, but they still suck. Um, uh, like the things on medium or whatever that you can, you just have a robot read you the article. Um, like I just, I just wanted that. Like, like I would constantly, like I was a technician, you know, I was driving around in a van with tools and climbing up poles and fixing people's internet and all, you know, doing networks. Um, so I just had nothing but downtime, like not, nothing took my brain. Like I just, I could just listen to infinity. I would listen to like six books from audible, like a month. Um, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't read an article while I'm driving, you know? <laughs> so like, I would miss all of this great content. And I was just like, I was constantly like, I wish somebody would just read this shit. Um, and then, you know, started doing it on the show. Uh, and one of the best things too, was how much value I got out of it. It was incredible, particularly early on in the show, how much I noticed my attention and my consumption or um, absorption of the data, of the information really changed because it's so easy, so easy. Um, and we all do it so much, particularly when we're on the internet, of reading a title of an article, reading some comments that other people had about it, skimming like the first paragraph or two and then thinking we read something thinking that we have an opinion about it that's like 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 we understand something about it when really we've got literally 20 seconds of honest exposure to the idea um and we don't even have like a a thorough commercials worth <laughs> of legitimate information about it um and when you sit, when you have to record something in audio, you have to go through the entire thing. And it's amazing how many times, like, I would be like, oh, I thought I knew about some topic or whatever. And then I would read the full article from start to finish, like, multiple times as I'm going through the audio. And I'd be like, oh my God, I had no idea what I was talking about. Like, I did not, I did not actually go through this article until I recorded it. Um, and that was a huge help, you know, to have. And that's honestly why I kept doing it for so long, for like two years or so with no real audience, um, is that I was getting a lot out of it. So like, you know, I'd be a thousand reads deep and, and it's just so much content that I got to truly absorb or whatever, because I was forcing myself to like read it thoroughly. You know what I mean? I hear you. I think this is a fantastic segue about doing like super due diligence and like really understanding the concepts. And I, I'm, I'm mostly joking there because we, there's just some incredible news that just came out and I have not had time. <laughs> no, I, I was literally about to be like, P, shut the fuck up. Chris mute his mic. This is too much of a breaking story for us to literally not discuss this right now. Tell us what's going on, Q. So purely a rumor mill, our only source right now is CNBC, but it seems as though FTX is now close to a deal to buy BlockFi for $25 million. This is a 99% discount off of their most recent valuation round that valued them at $4.8 billion was their last valuation round. So my question to you both, oh and let's discuss this, um, how much is this like, you know, the bear market price versus bear market price combined with there's still some shit that needs to get unwound there. And SBF maybe has seen it or has pointed it out and said, I can't pay top dollar because I need to use the rest of what you say I need to pay you to save the company. 
According to our producer, Chris, the term sheet looks like it will be signed by tomorrow. There are other offers on the table. I was interpreting that, Chris, as FTX has other offers on the table to buy other exchanges, not BlockFi having other offers for themselves. But as we said, this is a developing story. CNBC is the only source. Uh, both FTX and BlockFi haven't commented on this. What is, I mean, Guy, your initial reaction was like, wait, time out. That valuation doesn't make sense. Um, talk to us about your initial reactions to hearing this. Well, it's shocking, but it probably does make sense. <laughs> um, uh, but uh, I, I'm skimming through the article right now. One of the points that they have just at the top or whatever is that FTX gave them a $250 million loan. Like, so they gave a line of credit to BlockFi to kind of keep them out. So it makes sense that they'd have a bit of bargaining power in keeping that price as low as possible because they're obligated to them either way. But this is just not, this is not entirely surprising. Um, you know, like the, the leveraging, the DeFi leverage on top of leverage yield chasing, uh, which is actually just token printing arbitrage. Uh, system was bound to blow up and everybody who thought they were going to they were going to leverage themselves into 20% APY um, and that that was real yield and sustainable and had no risk no risk of just utter complete insolvency um, they should be punished they should be punished like I don't know I don't know what else to say like we have to get rid of that behavior because it's stupidity um, like it's never it was never going to work like just the idea of 20% APY for nothing when there's no actual value production, there's no equity on the other side. Um, so they call it yield, but it's not real yield. You know, Alan Farrington has so much Sasha, Sasha Myers and uh, Big Al, like uh, only the strong survive. Um, uh, what's his recent piece? Uh, uh, oh, crap. Bitcoin is Venice? No, no, not not the book, which that that is an amazing book. I'm starting on audiobook very soon actually um but uh, uh it's the it's a recent article jesus i just read it on the show not my capitalism whatever no i'll uh, i'll look it up in just a second when i have a free moment um wait i want to give you i want to give you some uh some credit you just had a child right so like, i did i did and i'm working going on. i'm working on two and a half average two and a half hours of sleep a night so you'll go back uh, to bed it's slow going on getting this this whole uh work world back into action um i'm making it happen i'm making it happen but uh but yeah this sort of behavior and like we can't we can't have fiat finance make its way into bitcoin it's just incompatible it's just incompatible Ooh. you can't do that gamble gambling speculative shit with bitcoin with a with a sound monetary good you're going to get your ass handed to you um so i don't I know read uh safety just sent out a, a tweet that made me laugh audibly loud that i had to mute myself uh fractional reserve banking without a central bank debasing the currency continues to be a highly unsuccessful business model talking about these yields that we see um guy my question to you is you know, what is it going to take for these terrible fiat ideas that continue to find their way into, I hate using this word and I apologize, but I, I want to say it like this. How do we stop these fiat ideas from continuing to get involved in the broader crypto market and as a casualty of that than Bitcoin itself? 
crashes crashes recessions like market wipes like deleveraging events the the simple fact of the matter is we would have never had this environment had there not been a 2008 bailout like if you had just let everyone who had committed the fraud everyone who had been insolvent everyone all these banking institutions that had been disgustingly disgustingly irresponsible if you had just let them all go bankrupt have them financially ruined no one would have repeated the behavior instead you bailed them all out you rewarded them for this idiotic behavior for this fraud and what do you have you have an economy now where now only the fraudulent are successful everyone else is being priced out of the market it's cantillionaires and nobody else like it's 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 just a club of fraud and that's the economic success and of course it spills over into crypto like we've just gotten to the point where fiat finance is such a joke it's so bloated and it's such it's just a casino real investing has disappeared um and the only way to make it come back is to punish is to let real invest real investment and real capital destroy the fiat capital destroy the imbalances and the subsidies sound like it's just a it's just a process of sound money you let these people go bankrupt you let 4.8 billion dollar casinos get valuated uh get uh fire sold at 25 million that's that's how you get rid of it i'm still just trying to wrap my head around but it's a great point i'm, I'm a little speechless this is crazy to me uh i want to understand the mechanics a little bit more but I also want to ask you, like, how does this, how is this cycle different from the previous cycles we've seen? How does the, this contagion that is playing out with Celsius and Three Arrows Capital and, you know, now BlockFi, how does this mirror and not mirror what we've seen in the previous cycles at this period in time? I think it's mostly one of degree, really, um, rather than kind. Uh, you know, it's not unlike the, you know, you had the 2007 or just throughout the early 2000s, the housing bubble. And then you kind of had the everything finance bubble towards the 20 teens and like into 2020. So it just finds a different place to locate. You know, if there hadn't hadn't have been like a massive like debt subsidy push and Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. And uh, this huge political shift in the economic apparatus to incentivize and push people into housing, the bubble would have just happened somewhere else. You know, it doesn't prevent the bubble. Like when you start manipulating interest rates, you're going to distort the price. You're going to you're going to put the the price of the good out of line with the supply and the demand. Um, and you're just going to get an imbalance. Uh, and when you're talking about debt, you have an imbalance that is the apparent production and growth today at the expense of production and growth in the future. That's explicitly what you're doing. It's, you know, as a farmer, it's rather than keeping your seed to plant crop next season, you're eating all your seed today and getting a 20% boost because you have 20% more food because you ate all your seed but then you have nothing for next, for the next season, for the next harvest. That's what we do. It was we're essentially doing essentially doing that in capital markets. And then every time we find out there's no harvest, we 
we eat the the longer term seeds like like let's say there's like a harvest every year but then there's some sort of crop that only happens every 10 years and every 20 years that's what we're doing we're going longer and longer out with our debt so where we've already completely screwed the next five years well now we're going 10 20 years out to borrow to pay back our five-year failure um, and that's what we've done for about 50 years in the finance market in in the fiat world um and the only way to get rid of it is to let everybody realize that there's no value backstopping this stuff, that it's all a scam. It's a Ponzi scheme. Literally, it's a Ponzi scheme. You're, 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 you're borrowing from everybody who's going to be forced into this Ponzi scheme in 10 to 15 years and everything that they're, they're going to produce in 10 to 15 years to pay off, to make it appear as if we're profitable today. It's just cooking the books. And as we, the, the only, again, the only way out of it, like the, the market works, capitalism works, free markets work because of profit and loss. It's yin and yang. You can't take one away and think that you still have a market. You just get outweighed by the profit incentive. And then everybody just kind of becomes a dis disgusting, speculative, greedy, like, like poisonous suck, just a leech on the economy because everybody's chasing profits because you've just taken away losses, which means you remove the integrity from the market. You remove all of the balancing act. You remove actual customers being the designation as to who wins or loses in the market. All of the integrity and the, the, um, the work, the research into deciding what is a good product and where do I spend my money and where do I allocate my resources and my time in the economy is taken away because you're just, it's like, oh, we're gonna have, we're gonna have free markets, but they're gonna be safe free markets where nobody loses anything. Nobody loses a job, no companies go out of business. It's like, well, then you've you've just you've removed the whole mechanism. It's it's like it's like saying that we're going to just eat forever as a biological organism. We're just going to eat forever and we're never going to take a shit and it's all going to be great. Like if you don't take a shit, like that's part of the process. The organism will die one way or the other. If you, if you manipulate and destroy the natural process, losses are critical. Losses are where you cut the fat. Losses are where you fire the people who are total wastes of resources. Losses are where you delete the companies who have been fraudulent, who have roped a whole bunch of people in and done nothing but obliterate resources, who have eaten their seed and cannot harvest. Again, they are, they are net losses on society. You cut them out. You let them die. You let them go bankrupt and you fire sale them to the people who were actually productive, who actually had savings, who had surplus. And what we have done is we have rewarded everyone who has been eating their seed, who has been burning our land of all of its value and its ability to hold crops at the explicit cost of the people who are actually making the food, who are actually doing the, the real work that is propping everything up. We're burning our savings to prop up our debt and our loss. Our profits are being used to keep our losses going. And it's just, it just has to correct. And, and it's all because we're cooking the books. It's all because our money is screwed. It's because it's being used as a tool of manipulating, manipulating nominal data at the cost of qualitative reality make the numbers look good and screw whether or not anybody has food or we have power. And 
that's what fiat enables and bitcoin fixes that and the only thing the only way it fixes that is if people like blockfi companies like blockfi and celsius and 3ac go out of business i don't disagree with the point you're making what you've essentially described is a purely free market system we just unfortunately have never in my lifetime seen that or had that operate we're, we're still gathering information, so keep your eyes out on how this deal actually comes to fruition. One of our colleagues, Brandon Green, is pointing out this could be very similar to the J.P. Morgan Knickerbocker deal back in 1907, which was a loan with an option to buy on the other side, which would kind of make sense given the fact that it was a $250 million loan, 10% of that option to buy, $25 million. I think those two offerings are in some way related. Does Sam Bankman-Fried and FTX stepping in in this instance actually solve the issue of letting a company like BlockFi crumble, fall, and have to learn from their mistakes and retry? Or is this sort of that bailout system that we've seen repeated time and time again across industries and across sectors here in America and across the world? America is not the only guilty party of that. Probably depends on how... FTX actually is like, I mean, if they're providing, you know, real service and real value, which they seem to just be a company, they charge fees and people use their service. Granted, it's in a way to pop, prop up the crypto gambling casino, but take that as it is, you know, at least there is a real purpose for trading and arbitrage. Like price discovery is a part of the market. Um, uh, but in the context of like losses and companies going out of business or companies getting sold off from people who are irresponsible with capital to people who are responsible with capital from people who are uh, from organizations that are losses to organizations that have surpluses, this would technically be that, right? Is that BlockFi was improperly evaluated at $5 billion or whatever and it lost 99% of its value because it got fire sold to somebody who actually had profits and has completely survived through all of this because they didn't leverage themselves to the hilt and they just have capital. They have capital when there's blood in the streets because they weren't stupid. They didn't, they didn't leverage their whole world around the fact that there would never be blood in the streets. They knew that it was a reality. And so they had a sustainable business practice and now they're buying BlockFi. That's, that to me is not a bailout. That to me is them getting a deal by actually having capital when nobody else has capital. Um, you know, that's the, if, if a farmer, you know, destroys their land or, you know, has a terrible harvest and then they go out of business and I get to buy their land at one, you know, one cent on the dollar, then that's, that's a benefit for me. That's a, that's a, Thank God we have gotten the resources, those precious, scarce resources out from under that idiot's uh, management and to mine where I can hire somebody who actually knows how to grow food. Um, so if there is any equity left in BlockFi, if there is a half decent brand, if there's a credit card that pays sats that, you know, can actually be sustainable by being a legitimate banking service of some sort and you get rid of the idiotic 6%, 10% return because they're betting on DeFi and risking everybody's money, um, scrap all that and take the, DeFi, uh, the, the BlockFi brand and turn it into a productive business, 
great. Great. That's not a bailout. That's a restructuring. That's a, that's a ripping apart everything that is bullshit in that company, trying to find something that's real and building that back up. I mean, granted, I don't know anything about this deal. I think it, like I, I know what we have accomplished in this. I'm just talking about in the context of hypotheticals. I no, have no of idea. I, I, I appreciate you entertaining my very speculative question and conversation here. <laughs> Fully want to reiterate the point that Guy just made, which is this is a developing story. This news literally broke 20 minutes ago. So TBD, how this actually looks, how it pans out, a lot of moving pieces here, but... You know, we've started to see there's a there's a theme that I've been paying attention to now for about three years. And it's outside of the Bitcoin and crypto ecosystem that I was paying attention to at first. My background, I come to Hollywood, and this idea of consolidation started to become a real talking point, especially when Disney bought Fox. And the conversation in Hollywood started to turn into, oh, there's just gonna be by the end of this decade, there'll be maybe five studios and they'll all cannibalize one another and they'll all just buy each other out for the sake of their library, their subscriber list or whatever each studio individually has an asset of. And so you're starting to slowly see this combination. There's a reason why Discovery bought Warner Media. There's a reason why Netflix is now looking at paid ads. That you saw for the last three years, roughly across every industry and you're seeing it now i think pick up at a much more rapid pace and it will especially in this impending recession do in large part because businesses like in this example blockfi that had a bad business model and is probably going to have to either the market is going to dictate you're going to go under you're going to go bankrupt because your business fucking sucked or someone like ftx is going to come in and hey we're going to we're going to start absorbing you we're going to start buying this because we want that aspect of their business and we want that for that aspect of their business. And it's going to, and I, I am being very long winded. And now my question is, will this cause an issue if people only have three different exchanges to choose from? There's always consolidation in a market like that. The question is, are these, man, we're see, we're seeing this everywhere. Um, this is not kind of a unique phenomenon uh, to to Bitcoin or crypto, whatever you want to call it. Um, is we're witnessing the same thing in uh, in the legacy markets. Like, in fact, we're this kind of been like a trend of twenty to thirty years of this. Um, it's so crazy. Like the the poison of passive investment and BlackRock and Vanguard has done so much to centralize and politicize the, the investment landscape. It's the only reason this ESG nonsense can even possibly exist for even a short period of time, because it is not, it is not real investing. It is, it is virtue signal investing, but, but no, everybody who is in, in putting up their capital for this has no idea. Like people who have invested their 401ks do not know that it's, being used to support ESG capital, like like to just to just promote and direct that Vanguard and BlackRock are uh, putting pushing their capital into these things because they've given over their signing rights. It's crazy. We have literally like trillions and trillions of dollars in these organizations, and nobody realizes that as soon as they like put these things in an index or these um, 
uh, it's not an index. I forget what the hell it's called. Whatever. Um, that in in the fine print, or well, just in the contract, they're saying that you, BlackRock, Vanguard, like these massive companies, now have voting rights over the capital that they invest. So they they quote unquote invest in Apple, but they don't have any signing power. They can't they can't direct even if it's like twenty million dollars. They can't tell Apple what to do because they have signed that over to BlackRock. So BlackRock then gets to decide what Apple is going to do. You've just given your power to BlackRock. Um, and that centralization is going to continue because we're in this process of collapsing the previous unsustainable thing and consolidating it into the bigger unsustainable thing that simply lasts longer because it's bigger. And that's what we have been witnessing for a very long time. And I think we're kind of reaching the end game. That's why I think these credit crises, these credit cycles are getting much, much shorter. Like we basically had a full credit cycle from the end of 2019, kind of March 2020 era to now. Whereas the previous credit cycle was uh, arguably from 2010, maybe in 2014, but you know, we were kind of looking at decade long to 15 year long credit cycles and they have become much shorter and much more volatile. Um, and I don't think we will, I don't think we will come out of that until we clean it. I expect to see consolidation. Like I think we're in like this constant process of two steps forward, one step back. Um, and we will see the same thing in, you know, the consolidation after you have this major disruption phase of a market, you then have, consolidation where the new capital comes in and they consolidate until they become unsustainable or they start abusing their position or they believe that now they're the incumbents and they have all the power the power and they can just do whatever the hell they want and then it works against them and then they get disrupted again um and with exchanges like that's a that's a negative thing in my opinion to end up with just two to three exchanges that everybody uses yeah that's that's garbage i hate that um, that will be bad for the industry as a whole, but it's also exactly the sort of thing that causes pressure to disrupt. So I don't know if there's a natural solution other than the fact that it is its own solution when it starts to cause a problem. And if you have the tools and the technology to actually continue the, the cycle of disruption, the cycle of um, recognizing where the problems are, like we're not going to put up with Bitcoiners cypherpunks in general like the real core of this philosophy and this movement are not going to put up with like reinstituting censorship or kyc to the massive major rails if there is anybody who will build an alternative and find a route around it that's that is that is the economy that i mean that is the ideology the philosophy that does exactly that like that is what that's what it's based on right that's the core philosophy itself um so yeah that sucks yeah, watching things consolidate. Granted, watching things consolidate into solvent businesses um, uh, is, is at least better than watching them consolidate into insolvent and irresponsible businesses. But uh, nonetheless, I think it is a growth independence on third parties, right? It's, it's increasing the trusted third party space um, and... I, I think it's really kind of a matter of time, but anything we can do to push ourselves back into uh, another phase of 
splitting up, of spreading out, of re-decentralizing the market, I think I think is an important thing to stay on top of, like to to have that perspective that we always need to be in that mindset. Like, you know, the price of liberty is eternal vigilance. Um, never think, never get complacent, never think that we're done. Complacency seems to be sort of the root cause of demise in a lot of historical examples. Just my opinion and conclusion, reading and studying what I have. Uh, guy, there's been a lot of news. I mean, it's the bear market woes. Um, what is one or one thing in particular that's really sticking out to you during all of this just in the bear market in general bear market in quotes bear market in quotes um really it's probably how well bitcoin is positioned right now um is that i mean i guess everything in bitcoin now like when you i've been in bitcoin for so long that like i feel like everything is just compared to the Mt. Gox implosion um, and the 2013, 2014 hype cycle and vicious bear market is that it truly felt like for anybody who was there, it truly felt like the whole place, the whole system was dead. Like that, like everything was gone. Mt. Gox, like just a couple of months before their implosion was 90% of the liquidity for the entire global Bitcoin market. Like they were it. Mt. Gox was Bitcoin at the time. And to have that go under, it felt like death. It felt like it was done. Um, and a lot of people were certain. Like we bought some GPUs off of a friend of ours who had gotten into Bitcoin or whatever. And he, like he had a computer and he was like, dude, man, it was really cool. But this shit's up like like it's over and and we were like man i really don't think so i really think this is just this is just an awful horrible growing pain and i think you're i think you're i think you have the wrong assessment of of where we are right now like i don't think it, i think it'll be a long time before we come back but i don't think this thing's done and now like like having that is kind of my foundation for what a bear market feels like this is like Eh. I like I, I don't know. It just like there's nothing about the legitimacy or the long-term survival of Bitcoin that I feel like has been threatened at all, really. Um, in fact, the amount that's still being built and accomplished right now outside of like the only thing down is price. Like that's it. And everything else fundamental to what's happening here is nothing but better. I mean, even in the context of like negative developments, like the EU's obnoxious travel rule, it's being legitimized everywhere. It's being recognized as this is a permanent, a, a permanent facet of reality. Like this is the new world. We live in a Bitcoin world um, and it's here to stay. And only the people who always thought Bitcoin was going to zero still think Bitcoin's going to zero. Um, and uh, so in that sense, I don't know. It's just, I mean, it sucks that the price is down. Sure. You know, I had to put up some, a uh, little bit more collateral. I have a, I have a small Bitcoin loan um, to work on stuff in the house. And I had to put up collateral. I was like, ah, oh, damn, that, that sucks. Um, but I mean, other than that, it's, 
the price is down. Bitcoin seems fine. Yeah, it's pretty wild. The I agree. The the fundamentals have never been stronger. The the discount that we are seeing right now in relation to the strength of the network and the mind share that Bitcoin has, separate from all of the like life-changing aspects of Bitcoin, which are more important than ever in the world we are living in now, the one that is currently attempting to be forced on us. Um, to me, the asymmetric bet that Bitcoin represents from a purely financial perspective has never been more in our favor. I agree. I agree. I think, and I think Bitcoin is also proving its position, like proving its resilience um, is that the price will dip. Hash rate will change hands. You know, Bitcoin, I like I'm, I'm, I'm looking for, oh, fuck, I've been, I've been trying to do this for like six months, but the downstairs is still not finished. Um, I might, I might, this opportunity might be too hard to pass up. Um, because what I'm doing actually is I, uh, I'm going to be heating the basement with Bitcoin miners. Um, so and what's funny is that like the upfront capital, unless I buy some S19s, I was thinking of getting a couple of S9s because uh, I had somebody I spoke to at Bitcoin 2022 um, who was heating with using one S9 for heat. And they were able to heat 1500 square feet reliably to the point that they were having to duct out. Um, and I was like, one? Are you kidding me? That's insane. And like a heating unit, it's like, a few grand. Yeah, exactly. A few grand. S9 is 300 bucks. 400 bucks, maybe. Like, prices are pretty damn good right now. They're incredible. If, I, I, like, how long does that have to cost me more in energy for heat? And I, I get no Bitcoin. Like, I would have to get no Bitcoin from it to then meet the cost of a $2,000 heating unit, you know? Um, and so, like, I just can't, purely from like oh god this is going to be a little weird and it's going to be a project and i don't have time for more projects but uh purely outside of that context it seems like the better monetary decision um the more efficient heating method from an economic standpoint so and now i just really desperately want to know what the the thumb production like what the the amount of heat produced ver uh, versus the wattage used versus the kilowatt hours used from a basic heating element because heating elements are not efficient. Like the way we produce heat is really kind of bad. You know, it's like awful, we just yeah. like it's, it's almost as inefficient. I mean, it is just inefficiency. It's the same method that we use through all of electronics and uh, anything that runs electricity through it is that it just has the more resistance it has, the more heat, right? Um, uh, and like the more ohms or whatnot. So that's what we do to produce heat. That's what we do for a, a stove or whatever is we just run it through something that has huge amounts of resistance. And so we're just losing all of the all of the charge and it's turning it into heat. But it's a garbage. It's, just, it's not an efficient way to create heat. Um, so I really, really want to do some serious math on it um, after I get this thing plugged in. I got some guy who was like happy. I was actually talking about this on the plane back from Bitcoin 2022. And randomly, the guy sitting in front of me apparently had been listening to our entire conversation. And he does heating and air. And he does like custom setups. And he was like, call me. 
we will set this up for you. We will get it so that it triggers to vent outside and vent inside. Like, I mean, he listened to the whole conversation. He just eavesdropped the entire time. We were flying home. Um, I love that so much. But uh, I got his card and I'm going to call him up. I'm going to let him do it. He got, oh. he, he got my business. Please um, keep me posted on that. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to do a video on this like when as, as I get it up because I'm really excited. But oh, you right to. now, you know, miners are dropping in price. Um, and I might be, I might actually be shelling out four thousand dollars and get an s19 i don't know we'll see we'll see uh because it's hard not to it's hard to pass that up there was a a mining focused uh national meetup at bitcoin park recently and uh i think harry Suddock and uh harry and denver bitcoin adam O that we're talking yeah. to, I, I i may have misheard them but i thought that they were saying that ASICs are incredibly energy efficient at producing heat it's basically you know i think they were saying like However many uh, you know kilowatt hours you put in, you get like ninety nine percent or more back as just straight heat, and then you're That's offsetting insane. that cost with the fact that you're producing Mining Bitcoin. Bitcoin. Just, I was like, holy shit! So I actually have a uh, this like glorious like rabbit hutch. It's like a, a rabbit tractor that uh, we're going to be heating with uh, S nine output during the winter here. So. If that's true, people are not talking about this enough. I know. This literally means that you can chain every single heating element that does not need to catch on fire should be replaced with a Bitcoin miner because its net cost is zero. Is zero from a heating perspective. Like, because all you're doing is gaining efficiency. You're you're literally just, if you don't even produce the Bitcoin, if you don't get, get any Bitcoin from it, but it produces more heat per kilowatt hour, you can just cut it off when you don't need the heat. If that is the case, if that is actually the case, I want to see numbers. I want to see somebody who's done thorough research and compared the two. But if that's the case, then there is absolutely no reason to ever put a gas heater in a house again. I know. I want to. I want to. I, I feel like I must have misheard. It can't be that. It efficient. can't be. It, it can't, can't be. be. I, I feel like that must be impossible. It's got to be right. But I can't find out. But I'm not convinced. Like I, I want to. It has to be entertained. I want to see the numbers because even if it matches or if it's a little bit under, I still think the economics dictate that no one should put a normal element, a heating element in their house again. So, um, but we'll, we'll see. I don't know. I, I really want to, I mean, it's, it's enough that I'm doing it in the basement one way or the other. Um, I mean, granted, I'd also just want to mine Bitcoin. I want to be, it's like one of those things, like I've thought about doing the podcast for four years and then finally broke down and did it. Like, I'm like, I cannot believe I have not produced a hash in nine years. You know what I mean? Like, like I did it on my GPU back a billion years ago. And I was like only getting 0.2 Bitcoin a day, which was like, you know, pennies. And I was like, this just makes my computer loud. And I cut it off after a couple of weeks or something like that. Dumbass, absolute dumbass. But, you know, um, I need to get, I need to be mining. I need to be mining one way or the other. I need to be producing hashes. I need to put my my money, my money where my mouth is. I guess that's right. Um, we we need some proof of work in this house. I wanted to crack a this. stupid joke about the fact that you know, Bitcoin is not in the physical realm. So how the fuck are you going to stick it in your mouth? <laughs> <laughs> P has been honestly rubbing off on me so much, and I've become a bit of a like wild card at this point. I used to be a much more proper put together. Embrace the darkness. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a troll, Chris. Not yet, at least. 
<laughs> um, you get your troll, but when do you get your troll badge? Ooh, does, the, does the meme factory have to have to anoint you? Look, I, I, he, I think I have to be. Someone else has to give it to me. I look, can't. I definitely can't give it to myself. So when I first started <laughs> doing too trolly. No, no, no. So when I first started doing this, uh, this with you know Q like two months ago, uh, we had Joe Carlosari on, and he was horrified at like the the stuff that I was saying. He didn't realize that like Joe and I like go way back into clubhouse days. We used to say like the craziest shit to each other, and uh, but then most recently we had June Seth and American Hoddle on earlier this week, and Q showed me up, man. He was like he immediately was like. June Seth was like, I'm not wearing pants, stood up, was like cruising around in his boxers. Hoddle was like, who the fuck do you think I am? Neither am I. And then Key was like, all right, let's do this. And I had to keep my pants on. And it was because- I mean, like, to be honest, I haven't worn pants since June Seth told me to take them off. See, that's what I'm saying. You're, you are leveling up. You've surpassed me already. You surpassed me in trolling. I'm here for it. Let's fucking go. Oh, I feel like we've exhausted this unless either of you want to- keep going down this hole i know that originally we kind of wanted to talk about some more education stuff yeah well actually i want i have a a slight tangent i wanted to ask you guy um so is the you're a new father is that correct uh yes yeah yeah he's five weeks old in like a day what has that experience been like like i'm just so curious you know in, in bitcoin we talk a lot about having children the importance of family uh and i I just love to talk to you about that if you don't mind. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's been, dude, it's epic. It's really epic. And like, it's volatile. It's unbelievably volatile. It's like the Bitcoin price. Like you, your emotional volatility is like sky high and then just dead, like falling like a rock. Um, like just like, just like the baby, just, just like rad. Like he's super happy and everything's the greatest thing in the world. Or I'm just sitting uncomfortably and it's death. This is the worst thing that's ever happened to me in my entire life, which might be true at the time. But um, that is kind of been what the experience is like. You know, people tell you, I was actually just talking with Chris about this. Um, uh, people tell you like, oh, it's a lot of work, you know, and you're going to lose all your time. 100%. I'm not even being, I'm not exaggerating when we talk about like two to three hours a night, which I'm surprised after like the serious, like kind of sleep delusions that occurred, like the first few nights, like even in the hospital, like both me and my wife had this weird, like these weird moments of like unconscious movement throughout the room sort of thing. And like, just like not even being aware of where we were and like, Oh my God, whose baby is this? Like, like this just like super, like I'm on drugs sort of sleep deprivation. But past all that and life slowly getting back to normal is I've been shocked at how well I can function on like three hours of sleep. Um, I didn't even think that that was possible. I thought that I was going to be like, I don't feel totally like I'm tired. Like, you know, I'm, I'm like a little bit sluggish, but uh, but it's great. You know, and the analogy I used with Chris, because I've been trying to figure out how to explain it, because, you know, when you say, oh, my God, it's just a ton of work and I get no sleep you get the impression that it's like a bad thing. Like, I don't want to give off that like, Oh, this is terrible and I don't like it. So the, the analogy that I came up with recently was that like, imagine you have like a dream and there's like some big thing that you've always wanted to do in your life. Like one of mine was, is, uh, uh making a feature film. 
and uh, like I actually did film and everything before I went the tech route. Um, like, and that's why I'm kind of getting back into it. Uh, but imagine you wanted to do that thing and uh, you, uh, you finally start working on that project. You get no sleep. Like it's, you know, 12 hours a day of just like constant work. Um, you're managing a lot of things like your emotions are all over the place. You're certain the project is going to completely fail one day. And then the next day, everything's going great. And it's the greatest project that you've ever worked on. It's the most, it's the most work you've ever done, but it's the most meaningful thing you've ever done. That's what it feels like. Like I would never find myself in that situation and be like, I, I want to stop doing this project. Like, that's the whole point. Like, life is always work. Life is always painful and volatile. And in fact, if your life isn't like that sometimes, then you're not really living. And the whole point is to find something meaningful to do. Um, and it's crazy how much I love this, this little kid that just kind of showed up. <laughs> and uh, it's... It's been it's been epic. It's been epic. That's just probably just the best way to explain it in all the ways. I'm making a note. I'm putting you down as pro on kids rather than pro, con. Pro. I'm pro, I'm pro, pro kids. Okay. Yes. Got it, got it. Definitely yeah. just booked a vasectomy after hearing all of that though. Ah. <laughs> I I kid I kid I I do want to crack one joke though and ask like I'm a How I Met Your Mother fan and anytime I'm at that point in my life where way too many weddings, friends are starting to have kids. And I had one friend who had a kid and I had that moment where I thought back to like some crazy shit we did together in college. And my head was like, that person is a father. <laughs> so guy, I want you to now share a crazy, ridiculous story from your youth that when your son turns 18, you're, we're going to clip this for you. And then you could show them this video when they turn 18. Kingston, don't tell your dad we're doing this. Oh my god. Um, okay. Okay. All right. So, my uh, this is when my brother and I were living together, and um, uh, yeah, this this is definitely the one to tell. Okay, without getting without getting too ridiculous. Um, so we were living together, and we're poor. Um, this was actually during Bitcoin days, I think. I think this was post-Bitcoin. Um, uh, so maybe maybe a decade ago. Uh, and I, we're, de we're dead broke or whatever. And, you know, we have like crappy glasses and just like things. Like it, it's like, it's like that's that college sort of, or just after college hodgepodge of crap where nothing actually matches. You just kind of have the things that you've collected over the years that didn't get thrown away. Um, and I had these, we had these candles. We were always, I was always getting these candles and they're like Dollar Tree candles, but they were like big and they had like thick glass and they were like the perfect glasses, like, like to drink out of. And so what I would do is I would, uh, I would run the candle all the way down and then I would heat up the, the last of it like the last little bit of the wax and I dump it out and then I clean out the thing. And then like, I was slowly getting like a collection of glasses out of these candles, but I wasn't the most attentive and responsible person at doing this. And the method by which I was heating these things up was by putting them on the stove. 
um, because what do you know? The, the top of the stove will create heat, and you just turn these little knobs, and it gets it gets warm, um, and it will melt the wax. So one night at like one o'clock in the morning, um, I'm not huge. I'm not like a lot not sober, but I'm not sober, um, and I put on one of these uh, candles on the stovetop to, to melt the wax because I'm like, man, I'm going to get, I'm going to finish my whole set of glasses. And so I sit this thing on it and, uh, I go into the living room and I'm like playing video games or watching a movie or something. I don't know. And at some point I just smell something and then it triggers and I'm like, Oh shit. Oh my God. And I jump up and my brother's asleep. Um, uh, has been for a couple hours and now it's like two or three in the morning and I go into the kitchen and sure enough here is this candle and there is just this giant flame just coming right it, the, the wax the whole of the wax has just burst into flames and it's on fire and I'm like looking at it it's like okay 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 what do I do here all right, just need to cover up, just need to cut off the air. I grab the hand towel from the thing, I plop it over the top of it, and goes right out. Uh, and so uh, and so I'm like sitting it, sitting there, and I'm like, all right, the first thing, cut off the heat, cut off the heat. All right. And I'm just holding it. And I'm like, all right. And I take it off, <laughs> burst right back into flames. It's like, shit, I put it right back over top of it. I'm like, all right, uh, so what do I do? How do I, how do I make wax stop burning? Uh, and I'm like looking around and trying to think. And like now the the thing is getting hot. Like my my hand towel is getting hot. And there's like a little bit of burnt crusties where it's like touching the grass, uh, touching the glass. It's like, so I pull it off, burst right back into flames. I'm like, shit, all right, I need like a, a powder. I need something to uh, something to suffocate this thing, to douse it. Um, and I go and we have this in the top of the cabinet. It hadn't been used in a while, in a long time. And there's this big thing of protein powder. And I'm like, all right. Uh, I'll get this. And there's already like wax caking onto the walls and on the cabinets. And so I get this big thing of protein powder and I'm about to just dump it on there. And I'm like, what's in this protein powder? I'm an idiot. I'm you know, in panic mode. Um, I didn't have any flour. Good, good, good option. Good option. If I had flour, I'd used it. Um, but I, so I take this protein powder. And I was like, All right, I got to test this. And I take just a little bit of bit, like a little bit of pinch of it and I throw it in there. And it's like, like it's like like flare like a like a little firework and I was like oh shit I'm not gonna use this I'm gonna move this to the other side of the kitchen and the the flame is still just going like it's it's really tall and I live in a cardboard box like we lived in a trailer this thing would burn so fast um and so I'm like okay okay there's got to be something around here and I'm like all right well maybe maybe the best like the stove is still hot right like to try to cool this thing down in some way maybe i can just move it off the heat um and there's and immediately as i was starting to push it i stopped i stopped because in the back of my mind my mother is a chemistry teacher uh ap chemistry for high school so we've done all sorts of experiments and i got to be you know set some of these things up with her at home to test them out i mean i took her class too um but um i know what happens to glass when you move it from hot to cold like I, I, I could set up a thing to destroy the glass. Um, and no, I did not have extinguishers. <laughs> Unfortunately, I did after this. Um, and uh, so my mind thought that, okay, if I move this off the heat, it'll get cold and it might crack. But I was like, 
I stopped. I was like, nah, I convinced myself that the, this whole stovetop, everything is warm. Everything is warm. I just need to just need to scoot it right off just a little bit. The second, like it was one inch off the thing, it cracked and the wax went everywhere. Like the whole thing just just collapsed into little pieces of glass. And the wax, you know how there's the little rim, like that little lip on the edge of the stove? That's there so that stuff doesn't just like run off of it. And all the wax immediately went all the way to the edges because there was still a good bit of wax in the bottom of this candle went immediately to the edges. And you know how like there's a mushroom cloud when a nuclear bomb goes off and it just like coalesces into this just huge thing. And it went up to the ceiling and it spread out and it just left ash and wax in this big circle on the ceiling. I was like, Oh my God. And I was like, all right, Jeffrey, Jeffrey, like, like that's when I was like, all right, I got to get somebody up. This is, this is getting bad. The whole stovetop is literally on fire. Um, and immediately I start digging through other stuff and I found baking soda. We had baking soda in the refrigerator to help with, you know, smell of old food or anything and immediately just douse the whole thing. And it went out. The kitchen had a, had a coat of wax on everything all the cabinets all the ceiling which is popcorn ceiling you can't even clean it I and mean, we mostly just left it up there um the the back behind the stove was just kind of like had soot all over it but nothing thank god for the little lip on that stove um we did not burn down and i did not lose any bitcoin keys that day that is incredible I, I'm dying laughing, like genuinely had to mute myself guy. The weird thing is, so here's the weird part about the story you just told. We actually knew about the story because you were under surveillance when this happened and we have images of the incident. Oh, dear so, God. So P, if you could, if you could right. please pull up the images of guy dealing with his, uh, candle fire. All right. So. I'm sharing my screen. <laughs> uh, that's what, yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. For context, this is the system. This is called a two. It is a machine learning oh tool God, that can be used hilarious. to generate images from text prompts. And it is absolutely mind bending. And so while you were talking, I entered in wide angle shot of kitchen in, in trailer, a man throws flour on a stove fire with flames everywhere and these were generated in about 30 seconds uh it's in like super restricted closed beta but it's uh i got access recently i've been playing around with it it's amazing anyway how do you get access i really want to i really want to play with that thing it's almost impossible uh ah! i'll I, we'll, we'll talk about it but it's uh it's pretty pretty ridiculous okay. fun times it's an incredible system that thing is going to be thanks this is going to be like an epic thing when like, the faces. Yeah, it's going to be really episode. epic when AI like really gets to generating legitimate looking like trust in everything is going to break down, um, which will actually be a good thing because I think we'll hyper localize. Um, it's just kind of the inevitable outcome. Uh, you can only you can only trust the digital becomes what is verifiable, what is behind your keys and everything else is just what's local in your life. Um, and who you can actually, who you can actually trust 
um, one-to-one. That transition will be a mess, but uh, I think it will be a pretty significant net positive. Um, it will, a lot of avenues for control and manipulation and false data uh, will actually fall away because all information is unreliable in some form or fashion. Um, and reputation systems and the ability to vet information will become absolutely critical. I mean, we live in a world where 99.999% of stuff just never gets known, like crimes get committed and nobody gets caught. Um, so, you know, we, we're kind of in this place where a lot of people think that things are really, really bad. And I think it's actually the opposite. I mean, that's not true. Like things are bad. But in the context of like history, I think it's like one of those things where things have been bad for a long time. It's just that now we get to see it. And now it feels terrible, but it feels terrible because it's being exposed. It's, you know, when everybody's blissfully unaware, it's like, it's like finding out you're in the matrix. Like that wasn't when the matrix was created. It's when you figured out you were in the matrix, right? The blissful ignorance sure feels a lot great. It's specifically blissful ignorance. Um, it is not blissful to be aware, um, to recognize or see when all of this, the manipulation, the propaganda and everything. Um, so um, it'll be interesting. It'll be, it'll be freaking really interesting. The AI thing is crazy, is crazy. And those are definitely legit pictures of me in the trailer trying to put out that damn fire. Man, uh, I want to ask you more about, circle all the way back around to kind of Bitcoin education. What do you think are the the things that we can do as people in the Bitcoin space uh, in order to further or to educate more people more efficiently and more effectively. And I ask you this because obviously you do such an incredible job of it, but I'm curious, like what, what do you think that the educational aspect of Bitcoin is currently missing and how can we as Bitcoiners improve it? Translation. Translation um, is like, like I said, going back to, like my original point is that there is so much value in just re-explaining and making an idea digestible. Um, I think really one place that we're suffering a lot that I hope to be a part of its correction um, is video work, um, is film. I think Swan Studios is doing some massive work in in that regard. They've really become, uh, they, they've, they've really kind of stepped up to this one. And but I, I think that's a that's a really big one. The the video, the YouTube scene, is absolutely dominated by crypto. Um, Bitcoin, solid Bitcoin, is hard to find in that sphere. Uh, and I also think stories, man, people learn through stories. And I don't even care what that means. That might mean like stepping up our meme game, literally. Like, I, I think memes are powerful tools for bite-sized, for, like, principled education, in a sense. Because um, it's it's bringing an idea down to its absolute most succinct version possible. Um, there is an art to that. I mean, obviously, a lot of them are just trolls, and they're stupid, and they're, you know, for the sake of whatever. Like, it's just idiocy. But there is something real in memes. Um like I think, like I think the like I did the Matrix meme or whatever of Morpheus 
talking to Neo and explaining like as silly and uh, like just kind of ridiculous as that thing was, I think it's kind of a useful perspective to share. Um, like like I, I did it because I think it's a cool way to explain a simple idea to somebody. Um, and story is how we learn. Story is how we relate to everything in life. Like it's why the Bible is a collection of stories about the struggles of being alive, about being human, the struggles of integrity. Like we completely misconstrue the, the lessons. We, we articulate to future generations what it's like to be human, what it's like, what are the consequences of taking responsibility for our actions versus pushing them onto someone else? What is karma? How do we lead ourselves into a personal hell versus a personal heaven? Um, how do you have integrity and what are the, the struggles of being, uh, of having that integrity? Uh, and we need more stories. We need stories that explain the principles of Bitcoin, um, that, that explain the philosophy, because one good story that is just about a character in a struggle, and you know, the propagandists know this, drop the little hints in, you know, just have a Marvel superhero and then just drop woke stuff. Right. Um, like they, they get it. And I think we need that not in the context of like propaganda, but in the context of explaining through the struggles of being, uh, being human, why the principles of Bitcoin matter, why Bitcoin, the system matters why these tools matter and why these things are important to our future and what kind of future we could be in without it um and you know like the mandibles atlas shrugged there's a reason atlas shrugged is one of the most cited books for changing people's philosophy their perspective on how things are in morality um and it was a huge part of my adjustment like that the speech about money and that like is money the root of all evil or whatever? Like, it's just, that was fascinating. I had never thought about it in that perspective before. And because it was in the context of these characters that I cared about and I had identified with their struggles throughout, it had a massive impact on me. Um, and Bitcoin needs story. Um, and that's one of the things that Satoshi actually gave us. That's such a beautiful little serendipitous thing about Bitcoin is that there is no origin story as unbelievable yet true as Bitcoin's origin story and Satoshi and the cypherpunks. It's so fascinating. Um, and I think that would go a long way. I think if Bitcoiners did more video work, um, did better memes and better stories, told stories, uh, I think it would go a long way. And I wish we had more of it. Well said. What's your favorite... I know you, you brought up two excellent books, both <clears throat> Atlas Shrugged and Mandibles, but what are some other non-Bitcoin books that are some of your favorites that you've read over the years? Ooh. This um, will be your final question. Okay. Um, damn, that's t I have so many. It's like asking me what my favorite movie is. It's different every week. So um, I, I feel you on that, though, yeah. on such a deep level. Uh, I'll just say because it's such an amazing book and I'm a fantasy nerd too. I usually do like two non-fictions, two fantasy or, or fiction stories or whatever. Um, I do like a good mystery and some thrillers and stuff from time to time. Uh, but, uh, 
the name of the wind the name of the wind the king killer chronicle series jesus that is just a well put together book the story is perfect it's like layered like as as somebody who is a a study of the arc of a character and the puzzle piece the 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 magic trick that is a story like the way you tell a story and build suspense and create a satisfying payoff payoff is like creating a magic trick is orchestrating pieces of the puzzle so that the the reader so that the viewer uh or the reader can put those pieces together before you put it together for them before you show them the picture and you get that that feel that unbelievable satisfaction they're like oh my god that's so fucking cool or you know like they finally solve the problem or they accomplish that 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 deep-seated goal that the character was was seeking from the very beginning um and the name of the wind is just that it's one of those stories within a story and uh it's such a clever world that was built and the character is so much fun uh and has such a visceral like human goal of just like kind of finding his place um it's just it's a great book it's a great book yeah. guy i want to be respectful of your time if you have any final thoughts words of wisdom leave it with us and of course tell everyone how to stay up to date with all of the stuff that you're cooking up all right yeah so got lots of audiobooks in the works and i'm finally getting back into the swing of uh my workflow with this and I'm getting back into video too. I actually hope to have a, uh, hope to be dropping it today. Um, uh, pretty soon. I'm almost done with it, but, uh, it's just a really fun. It's a, it's one of my stupid bitbox commercials that I did on the show and I decided it needed an upgrade and a video because I'm trying to learn DaVinci resolve and fusion and seeing what I can do in my little setup before I actually have a studio. Um, so I just threw together a bunch of shit and it's, it's fun. I think it's gonna be fun. So follow me on the at the guy Swan on Twitter, um, and I'll be dropping that soon. Uh, and yeah, always audio and video. Um, uh, that's that's my passion. Bitcoin is the center of all of it. <laughs> and uh, you know, stay on Bitcoin Audible. Stay on Bitcoin Audible. If you if you want the signal and none of the noise, ah, there's noise from time to time. But if you want mostly signal. Bitcoin Audible is it. Hey, man, I heard about how you almost burned down your kitchen was pure signal. <laughs> pure signal. No, it was because it like humanizes him, right? Like titans of industry. You know? like, me, oh, Jesus Christ. Look, how many, how many people don't, didn't hear that story and say, you know what? I almost burned down my trailer in a horrible wax kitchen fire as well. Now I understand Bitcoin. <laughs> At I, least 80% of your audience. 100%. At least. I know I did. 100% of the time it's 80% of your audience. Exactly. See, numbers don't lie. <laughs> This has been incredibly fun. I can't tell you how much I appreciate you joining us. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, man. Good hanging continue, out, guys. Man. Let's do it again soon. All right, dude. Sounds good. You're the man, guy. Thank you. Peace. Later, guys.